But I just want to just go to the work, go to the Lord in prayer really quick. So if you'll bow your heads, God, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you for your message. I thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together, God. And I pray, Lord, that every word that I speak that comes out of my mouth, Lord, God, be pleasing unto you. Lord, I pray, God, that it would just speak to hearts and that, Lord, you would just uh, take control of my mouth in Jesus' name. Amen. So the other day I was uh, looking over some illustrations, trying to find some funny stuff to share with you guys. And I got to tell you, it was slim pickings. And um, I was like, wow, I'm going to be talking to youth. So it's not like talking to adults. They can take a boring sermon and it's all right. But you youth, you need to have something that's a little more spicy. And um, it was kind of hard to come up with some good illustrations. But I found one that I thought was particularly funny that the mothers will get. James Dobson, who's like this old man, but he's very wise, he was sharing about how this woman had come down with the flu, this mother, and she was very sick. And how many moms in the room can raise their hand and say, don't matter, you still got to get up and take care of everybody, right? So anyway, she was very sick, she was in bed, and so the little girl was wanting to be a good nurse because, see, her mommy's always taking care of all of her problems, and when she's sick, she comes in, she puts extra pillows behind her head and all this stuff. So the little girl comes up. She gives her mom an extra pillow. She leaves the room for a little bit, and she comes back with a magazine. And then she leaves a little bit longer, and she's gone for a little while. Mom's like, hmm, wonder what's going on. When the little girl emerges with a cup of hot tea. The mother was a little bit suspicious at first because she's thinking, who in the house is making hot tea? And so she took the cup and took a little sip, and it was good. And she goes, well, honey, how did you learn how to make tea? How did you get this? And she goes, well, Mom, I learned it by watching you. So I put water in the pot and then I put the leaves in the pot and then I turned it on the stove and I let it boil and then I put it over a cup and then I, I sifted through the, over the, um, the leaves over in the sifter, but you know, I couldn't really find that sifter. And so I used the fly swatter and her mom, you know, choked down the tea and said, excuse me, you used what? And she goes, Oh, don't worry, mom. I didn't use the new one. I used the old one. Now, I know that there are plenty of moms in this room that probably have better stories than that. I have some pretty nasty ones, but I'll refrain for today. Uh, My kids are wonderful. They're all grown. They're all gone. Few tears, for sure. My oldest son is actually living in Ohio. He got a big boy job, and he's taking care of all of his bills except for his car insurance. So I'm still taking care of that, but that's all right. And he is uh, living in Ohio. My daughter is going to be a super senior. That means she has to go an extra year in Springfield uh, to complete her degree in electronic arts. And my youngest son, Jacob, actually arrived in Adrian, Missouri this evening as I arrived here for the summer. So I'm very pleased with that. Very excited about him being home. There was a woman who once said, before marriage, I had three theories about raising children. Now I have three children and no theories. There is nothing like raising kids. And I want to tell you that there's something uh, that cannot be explained. You can raise kids the exact same household, the exact same way, with the same rules, the same values. And these two children will end up completely different, surprising you in different ways because they're different people. Everyone has a different idea of what parenting is like. But I will tell you that it is frustrating. It is exhausting. It is one of the most wonderful and valuable things that you will ever accomplish in your life if you're a girl. Sorry, guys. Never going to be a mother. But that's all right. You'll be a dad someday. Everyone can say that it's good to raise children. This um, Mother's Day, though, I know 
that sometimes Mother's Day can be a little bit difficult for people. Now, I don't know every person in this room, so I don't know your family situation. I don't know if there's moms here who have recently lost a mother or a mother figure in their life, and they're missing her. I know that this might cause a little bit of sting thinking about this Mother's Day. Maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mom, but I know one thing for sure, that God cares, and he sees, and he wants to speak to your heart tonight. So don't shut me out if you don't have a good relationship with your mom. You know what? I grew up and didn't have much of a relationship with mine. I had a grandma that loved me like the best love ever. And she was more like a mom to me. And I just lost her a few months ago. But I tell you what, don't shut me out if you don't think that this message is going to apply to you. I want you to hear what the word of God says this evening. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Ephesians 5.1. And when you look, will you look at that with me? It'll be on the screen. It says this, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, be imitators of God. And here's what I want to suggest tonight. When mothers are doing their thing, when they're raising their kids and they're doing the thousands of loads of laundry that they'll do, and they're doing the dishes, when they're putting band-aids on scraped knees, when they're doing all these things, I want you to know that they're actually imitating God. They're imitating God. Some of you might say, no, wait a minute. God is explained as like our heavenly father. And of course he is. And so, yes, Father's Day, we talk about fathers and how they imitate our father in heaven. But God uses mothers in a special, special way. God uses moms to show us that unconditional love that God has for us. As mothers raise up their kids, they raise up our, and, and our understanding of God. And tonight I want to look at three ways that moms raise our understanding of him. Number one, mothers reflect God's unconditional love. There was this elderly woman who walked into a church one day. And there was an usher at the front door and he said, well, ma'am, can I take you in to have a seat? And she said, well, yes. And he said, well, where would you like to sit? She said, I'd like to sit right up front. And he goes, well, I don't know if you really want to do that. Pastor's not that good of a preacher. The lady looked at him and said, well, do you know who I am? And he said, well, no. And she said, I'm the pastor's mother. He replied with, well, do you know who I am? And she goes, no. And he said, good. Took her straight to the front row. I'm going to tell you what. We have our, our parents in our church. My, fa- my husband's mother and father serve or come. Well, they do serve at the church a little bit too. But they come to our church every Sunday. And I want to tell you that it's a blessing. She sits on the very front row, dead center. If Lance was going to preach over here, she'd sit right there. If he was, she, he was going to preach over here one day, I can guarantee mama's going to be sitting right in front of her boy. And my husband likes to use a lot of illustrations from his childhood growing up because he was quite ornery. And so it applies to a lot of his sermons. And he was share, every time he goes to share anything, and he starts up with, well, when I was a kid, she gets all giggly. And she's sitting there and she's laughing and she's a smiling and she's looking around. Mm-hmm, that, that's my boy. That's my boy. And I tell you what, the thing that happens is that she starts reliving those memories with him. And it's an amazing thing to see. And inevitably, if he tells a bad joke, which he does that all the time, if he tries to do some sort of crazy, like, um, oh, accent, 
I try to avoid or to tell him to avoid those. But anyway, whenever he does that, she'll look to me and she'll go, isn't he funny? (laughs) And I, I used to get so irritated. I'm like, no, he's not funny. It's embarrassing. He needs to stop doing those things. But let me tell you what, one day I sat there and I was so kind of, here she goes. She's going to doing all this stuff. And I get so embarrassed over doing that. And then I thought about it for a moment. That's her baby. She could not be more proud because once he was very lost in drugs and far away from God, but because of a praying grandmother and because of a praying mother who never gave up praying for the salvation of her son, he became saved, called into the ministry and preaches the gospel today. She has a lot to be proud of and a lot to be thankful for. We are so blessed to have them with us. And tonight, as I was watching some of you interact with your moms, I noticed that some of them were kind of quiet, but they were looking at you the same way that she looks at my husband. They were looking at you the same way that I look at my kids. And like my grandmother used to look at me. My dad owns a jewelry store in Raymore. And so if you ever go in there and say, you know me, you better just sit down. Because he's going to tell you lots about me, (laughs) I guess. I've been told. So, don't say you know me, unless it'll get you a good discount. I was watching you guys interact, and I realized that, you know what? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you're rich or if you're poor, if you're, you know, popular or not, moms love their kids. And it is such a beautiful thing to see. Sorry, guys. I get so nervous when I speak in front of people I don't know, even though I've been doing it for a long time. How many of you guys have seen, like, when you go to the school or a sporting event or, like, how about, like, sixth grade band? (laughs) Sixth grade band is bad. But you've got every mom with their phones out and they're recording their baby play jingle bells and then like and they're proud they're crying i mean there's all kinds of stuff happening moms will record their kids because they're simply their kids they don't have to have any talent they don't have to have any kind of special acting abilities they just are standing there and their mom's like that's my baby and they're recording. They're taking pictures. It's crazy. Only because they're theirs. And I can guarantee that your mom has all kinds of pictures from when you were little and you're like, what were you even taking a picture of? Oh, you just look so cute. Oh my goodness. What you were just, oh, it was so cute. You were just standing there and you were looking at a butterfly and I had to take a picture. I mean, it was, you know, nothing, nothing extraordinary, very ordinary, but moms look at you with complete unconditional love. Mothers have this wonderful way of loving their children for no other reason except for you are theirs. And there, there, that is why um, it's so important that when a child is struggling, when there's bullying happening at school, when there's a situation that seems out of their control and like they just can't handle it, that that unconditional love comes into play. I recently read a story about a little boy named Ben. And Ben was born to a... Poor family. His mother had only graduated from third grade. She was married when she was 13. And when Ben was eight, his mom and his dad got divorced. So his mom raised him and his brother. They lived in the inner cities of Detroit and Boston. It was a rough go. 
And little Ben, he wasn't too bright in school, and he had some troubles going along the way. And all of the kids, they would call him the dumbest kid in the class, and that was kind of his nickname was, hey, dummy, hey, dummy. And he began to believe these things. Once he got into a fight because there was a question of whether he was the dumbest kid in the class or the dumbest person in the world. Looks like to us here today that maybe Ben won't have much of a chance, but Ben was getting a much different story at home because Ben was told by his mom over and over and over again that he was smart, that he had potential, and that he could be a success. Somehow over one summer, she motivated him to spend his afternoons in the library. She even told him that he, she required for him to write two book reports for her every single week of that summer. Through this unconditional love and encouragement, it started to have an effect. And by seventh grade, Ben was at the top of his class. When he graduated from high school, he got a scholarship to Yale. And he went on to medical school at the University of Michigan. He first gained worldwide, worldwide recognition in 1987 when he became the first surgeon ever to successfully separate Siamese twins that were joined at the back of the head. Dr. Ben Carson now serves along as professor at John Hopkins Medical School. He's also the director of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. And he's become world famous for his skill in performing complicated surgery on children with brain and spinal cord injuries. He has even had a run at the presidency. Not so bad for the dumbest kid in the class. And it was all because of the encouragement and unconditional love of his mother. Nothing else but that. He was at a gala and his mom was there. His mom attends everything with them. She lives in their house. And he was asked, Ben, why does your mom still live with you? I mean, you're a grown man. You got married and you got kids and all this stuff. Why does your mom still live with you? He looked over at his mother and with a gleam in his eyes, he said, you don't understand. If it weren't for that woman, I wouldn't be living here. She earned this. It seems to me that that kind of unconditional love is a great reflection of our God. Romans 8 contains one of the Bible's richest statements of God's unconditional love. In Romans 8, 31 through 39, it says this. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then shall con- will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry? Or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ, our Lord. None of us grew up in a perfect home. Not one person in here has a perfect mom who had a perfect mom who had a perfect mom. We're all flawed individuals just praying we make it through the next day. Have you guys ever felt like you could just, you know, conquer the world? Like every single day, always? No. Well, mothers don't feel that way either. Guess what? Moms just hope that you stay alive until you're 18. And then they hope that you get a really good job so that you can take care of them when they're old. That is what the, the basis of motherhood is all about. I'm sorry if you thought it was something else. But it really is about keeping you alive and making a difference like later on in life and being good and not being jerks. You know, that's the biggest thing too. Don't, don't grow up to be a jerk. You need to be nice and kind and gentle and wonderful like your mother, right? I can say that because my kids aren't in the room. They would be heckling from the back. Our acceptance by him. I want you to hear this. Our acceptance by him does not depend on our performance. If that were the case, and it was up to my performance on whether God accepted me or not, I am in a bad spot. I am without hope and in terrible, terrible, terrible place. But it's not about my performance. It's not about me being good. It's not about you being good that gives you his love. Because his love is unending. His love is unconditional. He loves you with a love that is beyond anything we can ever imagine. Thirty verse 34 says, who then will condemn us? See, it all depends on Christ and what he did on the cross. What he completed on the cross for you and for me is, is done. What he did is the reason why God, his mercy and his love pours out on us. You know, the Bible gives us a picture of a courtroom where we are standing condemned because of our sin, because of the things that we've done wrong because of our poor attitudes, because of the way we've treated others, because of the sin that we have in our life. But then Jesus is standing there talking to the judge, which is God the Father, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Remember back when I died on the cross, I died for that sin. I died for that. And so it's not really very fair, Lord, if you judge them for the sin that I've already paid the price for. He's interceding for us, and he loves us. Now let me tell you something. You can walk away from that love. You can choose not to accept it. But it doesn't change the fact that it's there. God loves us. God cares for us. And he wants to have a true, honest, completely beautiful relationship with us. But it depends upon us accepting that love. And then walking in repentance. And doing what we can to serve God in our own way. The picture we get is just like that. In the same way, through suffering... And through consequences of our sin. How many of you guys have ever had consequences for doing something wrong? Everyone's hand in the whole room should be up. Because I used to get in trouble all the time when I was a kid. There were consequences for sin. There were consequences for bad choices. And you know, there are consequences in our life. But when we repent, when we come humbly before our God. And we ask for him to forgive us. When we lay it all down and say, man, I've messed up again. God is quick to come to our side. He is quick to say, I have already paid the price through sending my son. He paid the price for you by giving his life on the cross, but he didn't just stay there in the grave. He rose again so that you could live an eternal and a wonderful life in me, a victorious life. The Bible is our love letter from God. 
and you need to read it. You need to be in it all the time. It's a wonderful book. It's a book of rules and regulations. Yes, it shows us the right way to live, but it's also God's love letter. What he's given to us to know him and to know him better. When we have consequences for our sin, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. And in fact, in Hebrews 12, it explains that it's because of God's great and wonderful love that he disciplines us. I never took joy ever in disciplining my kids. As a matter of fact, I hated it. I wish that they would have just lived perfect lives so that I would have never had to ground them or spank their little bottoms or whatever else we did. I don't know what all we did. We basically did everything but duct tape them to chairs. I mean, we had to do everything we could to keep our kids safe and to do what we could to keep them on the right road. They still made mistakes and there were reason, there were things, reasonable, um, consequences for that. But Hebrews 12 explains, like I said, that it is because of God's great and wonderful love that we are gently redirected. And your mother is giving you that because of her great love for you. When you are gently redirected, when we mess up, there may be consequences, but they love as much as they did prior to our disobedience. My kids never did anything that made me love them any less. As a matter of fact, whenever they would make mistakes and fall down and have to be humbled and, and come repentantly and say, gosh, I really just messed up this time. As a matter of fact, my heart swelled with more compassion and more love for them because I remembered what it was like to be in their shoes and to be trying to figure this thing out and to stumble and to fall. And I knew what it was like to have someone come alongside me and scoop me up and to take care of me and to bandage my wounds and to tell me it's all going to be okay. And that's what Jesus wants to do for us. He comes alongside and he says, you know what? I love you. Let me help you. Let's take and let's bandage up those knees and let's walk in the ways that I've shown you. Pay attention to what's being preached in youth group. Pay attention to what's being preached from your pulpit in your Sunday services. Pay attention in your Bible studies and when you're looking at the word of God, because God is always gently directing us in the right direction. This thing is about to go in the trench. All right. <laughs> oh my goodness. Let's just go on to number two. Mothers reflect upon God's unapologetic discipline. You think I'm talking about presidencies tonight, and that was even brought up earlier about being something about the president. But Laura Bush, how many of you guys remember President Bush? Please raise your hand that you remember it. Okay. Wasn't that long ago. You guys were born. So anyway, President Bush and Laura had gone down to Texas and they were gone to um, his parents' house for a little getaway. And so here they are. They gotten up early like they always do. And Laura was telling a story about how they went down to have some coffee. And so George got his cup of coffee and he went and sat on the sofa where his mom and dad were sitting in the same room. And he sat there and he plopped his feet right up on the coffee table. And Laura heard a shrill from the kitchen. When his mother said, get your feet off that table. And his dad, Bush Sr. said, well, for heaven's sakes, Barbara, he's the president of the United States. And she said, well, I don't care who he is. He's not putting his feet on my table. And Laura summarized it by saying, even presidents have to listen to their mothers. And that is very true. We need to listen to our mother. If you're a mother, by definition, that means that you are involved in disciplining your kids, even when you don't want to. 
It's no fun. It doesn't mean just punishment. It includes training and guidance. Everything from showing them how to keep their room clean to teaching them how to cut a piece of meat. Because we're tired of cutting up your meat for you. You need to figure these things out. Doing their laundry. Making sure that they do their homework. It, it involves monitoring what they're watching on television. And what they're doing on their computers in their rooms. What they're listening to and filling their mind with. In our house growing up, we had one rule that was a non-negotiable. If no one's home, your boyfriend or your girlfriend does not come in the house. Period. It's a pretty easy rule, right? If no one's home... Boyfriends and girlfriends don't come in the house. And every time I would have to remind them, if no one's home, they're not coming in the house. My kids would think, well, don't you trust me? And I'd say, it's not about trusting you. It's about knowing that this is too much for you to handle. So I'm saying no is too much temptation. They're not coming in the house. And all I would get was slam doors, stomping off. I know none of you do that, right? Mm, You better stop if you are. They would stomp their feet and roll off and they would go in different directions and they would think, oh, my mother, she's just so mean. I had the worst reputation in my town for not letting them be in the house alone. I tell you what, I'm like, well, that's the worst reputation I can get. Then that's pretty darn good. They would be so mad. But looking back, how many times were they, were they saved from walking into temptation and having it stare them in the face? Let me tell you what, I wasn't so worried about whether my kid thought I could trust them or not. But I was worried about them being faced with temptation that they couldn't stand against. I didn't want them to stand in the face of temptations that they couldn't handle and then have them to fall. Because honestly, I felt like that would be kind of my fault. It's like dangling, you know, candy in front of a, I don't know, something that likes candy. I mean, it's going to go after it, right? So... It was my job as a mom to say, no, we're not going to do that. They thought it was terrible at the time, but now they realize that it was good for them. Hindsight is always twenty twenty. Looking back at your life, you're going to say, well, my mom was not as dumb as I thought she was. As a matter of fact, you're going to call her because you won't know how to do something. And in that moment, there will be silence on the other line. That's not your mom hanging up. She hasn't fainted. She's just taken in the moment. When she realizes that you just realized that you don't know everything and that she has something of value to offer to you. Discipline involves coaching. How many of your coaches, how many of you guys play sports? Raise them high. Come on. How many of you guys? Okay. So sports and lots of different things, but guess what? Your coach isn't easy on you, is he? If he is, then he's not a very good coach. I mean, if a coach is going to push you, they're going to challenge you. They're also going to discipline you if you're messing around, right? I mean, I saw my kids run more laps and I thought, oh, look, they're exercising. No, they were in trouble (laughs) for having to run laps. And every time I'd go out to the ball fields and I'd see my kids running laps, guess what they did at home? They ran laps. Because guess what? I'm going to discipline just like the coach disciplined. It was good for them. Sometimes it involves punishment and consequences, but here's the point. When mothers do that, even when they unapologetically discipline their kids, They're being imitators of God. So think about that the next time you're fussing under your breath as your mom's grounding you from something. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 12 in verse 5. It says this, And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as, as his children? He said, My child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. 
For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure to to this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? When we are disciplined by God and our parents, if you'll grasp this now as a young person, you will see that God is using it for your good, for your training. He's using it to mold you into what he has for you and who he wants you to be. Let me tell you what, discipline doesn't just stop because you become an adult. Maybe you don't get grounded anymore, but it comes in other forms. So if you'll learn it now, you won't be getting fired by your boss because you can't keep your mouth shut or because you decide you're just going to mess around and not do your job. When you learn how to take discipline and learn that it's for your own good now, it will make life easier later down down the road. When we look at it as our ultimate good, we can endure it. But let's be honest, it's not easy. But the Bible never minimizes that. In verse 11, it says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. If you talk to any older person in this room and ask them, how they, you know, endured life and how they've come to this place. And if you ask Pastor Jeremy, you know, how he's grown in the Lord. If you ask any of your older people in your church who are living for God and who are doing the right thing day in and day out, they're going to tell you that it came through hardship. It came through hard stuff that they learned how to live for the Lord and how to serve him. It's not going to be through the easy things. It's going to be through the hard stuff. Good moms know that, don't they? They know that no discipline seems pleasant at the time. But when it's done with love, the results are great. And I know y'all are just shouting because I'm talking about discipline. But I'm going to tell you what, it's a biblical truth that we all must grasp. And I want you to know that when your mom has to discipline you, it's not because she hates you. It's actually opposite. It's because she loves you passionately and she wants to see you do well and to succeed and to grow and to do all that God has for you to do. My last point is that mothers reflect God's unselfish sacrifice. How do we even begin talking about the sacrifices that moms make? They sacrifice sleep for years and years. And then just once you start sleeping through the night, then you just get a driver's license and then you're gone. And then they don't sleep again because you're not home. And there's all, I mean, it's just sleep. There's no sleep. Even when they go to college, there's still no sleep. There's still no sleep. Sacrifice. It's forever sacrificing sleep. Okay. So pray for your mother. They sacrifice convenience. I have never been convenienced by having to run to Walmart at midnight because my kid needs something for school the next day. I never think it's convenient that a project that they've known about for six months at school is now due next Friday. It's not convenient that you have 17 practices in three days and you need a ride. I mean, it's never convenient that your jersey that you just wore for something you have to have the next day. I mean, I'm telling you, parenthood, motherhood is not convenient. It's not. They sacrifice their bodies in many ways. But I think maybe more than anything else, they sacrifice their independence. 
the moment you become a mother, now you are responsible for another life. Whether you have that child yourself or adopt, you're responsible for them. They have to stay alive. Actress Sophia Loren said that when you're a mother, you are never really alone in your thoughts. A mother always has to think twice, once for herself and once for her child. And I think that's so profound. The moment you have a child or adopt, it is suddenly this other person that you have to think about, to care for and to sacrifice for. There's a quote I recently read of a husband, and this is him saying about his wife. He says, there are times when I get a glimpse of my wife sitting in my son's bedroom floor, switching out the clothes from winter to summer, or putting together a box of craft supplies for a class mom's responsibility, or standing in the kitchen getting a tangle or gum out of our daughter's hair. And I am struck by the sacredness and the beauty of what I see. This is greatness. There was a story out of 2007. There was a, a man who was a renowned violinist. I mean, like world-renowned. His name was Joshua Bell. And there was this uh, place that they wanted to do a, um, like an experiment of sorts. So they had him to go down into the subway system and to stand there and to play his violin. Well, he stood there in jeans and a long sleeve t-shirt and a baseball cap. And he took this violin out of his case and he put the case on the ground. He put a few bucks in there so people get the idea to throw money in. And he played for 45 minutes. He played all these, I can't even remember the names of the, you know, songs because I don't listen to classical music. But anyway, it was really fantastic because it was, yeah, classical. And it was like, like legit stuff. And so anyway, he's playing in this, in this subway system and there's people going on. I watched the video and they had to speed it up and it was kind of funny watching, but anyway, they just walked by, walked by, walked by, walked by. They weren't paying a lick of attention to what was going on because it was something in the ordinary. It was something that was just happening like in their day to day. They were just going to work. They were just going to the next destination. But see, this was just a regular Friday, but the week before this same man, Joshua Bell, stood on a stage at a sold-out concert where seats went for $100 a piece, sold out for what he was doing. The people rushing by in the subway system didn't realize that the violin that he was playing on was very rare, and it was worth over $3 million. They had no idea what they were seeing because in the mundane and the everyday stuff, they weren't realizing what they were looking at. They were looking at a world-renowned, beautiful artist, who could sell out a crowd. And I'm going to tell you what, in the mundane stuff, when your mom is running to Walmart at midnight because she loves you and because she has to, because you need to graduate high school to go to college and she's doing all these things for you. Don't miss it. That's greatness right there. That's beauty right there. If you would have thought about who, if people would have looked up and recognized who this man was in the subway system, they would have realized, wow, there's a whole lot going on there. I should probably stop and pay maybe a little bit more than a couple bucks. Maybe I should take my phone out and record this wonderful event. But let me tell you what, your moms are doing something extraordinary every day when they're doing your laundry day in and day out with no thanks. When they're doing the things that seem so mundane, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. In Philippians 2 and verse 3, it says, Do not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble thinking of others 
as better than yourselves. Don't look out for only your own interests, interests, but also take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something. Ugh. Oh, now it's just going to close all the way down. Something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. God did not sit up in heaven and say, follow my commandments. Instead, he sent his son and said, follow my example. And that's what we are to do. And that's what we are to see when we look at our mothers. They're not sitting on the throne pointing out things for you to do for them and saying, follow the rules that I have in this house. They're saying, follow my example as I lead you. Verse seven says he made himself nothing. He gave up the splendor of heaven and traded it for pain and hunger and betrayal and abuse and torture. And ultimately the most undignified death a person can die. Jesus willingly gave up everything he had and he went to the cross. Why? So you could be forgiven. You could be set free and reconciled with God. There was this doctor and she was dealing with um, kids with cancer. She had to go in for this little girl who was eight years old and she was dying. There was nothing more that they could really do. And her body was so disfigured and, and she was in just constant pain from the treatments. She had to do a couple of tests. And when she walked in the room, she was just overwhelmed with the sense of pain that was in the room. But as she looked up, she saw something even more overpowering. And it was the presence of her grandmother lying in bed beside her. With her arms embracing this precious little girl suffering. She says, I stood in awe for I knew that I was on holy ground. The suffering of innocent children is horrifying beyond words. I will never forget the great gentle arms and body of this grandmother. She never spoke while I was in that room. She was holding and participating in the suffering that she could not relieve. And somehow her silent presence was relieving it. No words could express the magnitude of her love. I performed all my tests as quickly as possible, but I stood at the door a moment longer. The image of this little girl and her grandmother searing into my heart. If you're a mother or you're a grandmother, maybe you can relate to that. When your child is in pain, it breaks your heart. There's nothing worse than not being able to fix what's wrong. It becomes your pain. Some of you mothers know exactly what that means. And because you've walked through a lot of painful days with your kids. And when you do that, mom, you're pointing them to God. Because we have a God who saw our pain. You see, he saw our disease and it broke his heart. So he gave up everything and he entered into our, into our suffering to the point of death on a cross. And every time that a mom sacrifices for her kids, it's a little reminder that the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus made for all of us. So next time you see a mother unconditionally loving her kids or unapologetically disciplining her kids or unselfishly sacrificing for her kids, Remember that you're in the presence of greatness because that mother is reflecting the very character of our God. I'm so thankful for our time here together, and I'm sorry if I've gone a little bit long, but I felt like the Lord had that word for us tonight.
And so as Jeremy comes, I just want to say that I'm thankful for each of you. I'm thankful for each of your moms that came here tonight and that took the time to spend with you. And next time that you go walking by your mom and she's doing the dishes, realizing you're standing in the presence of greatness, someone doing something wonderful, sacrificial, unconditionally loving you in the simple mundane things of life.